Hey, Farva. Nobody can pay you in a corner. Hey, is any of this sinking in? Don't mess with the bull, young man. You'll get the horns. You're dead. D, 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 dead. What's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy shit on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? You mean shenanigans? No. Oh. Oh. Very much shenanigans, right? From this podcast studio that brought you the wonderful traipses through the Cloud Atlas and the Wolfman, we are bringing to you tonight the newest edition of the 35 Mill Podcast in the 2003 The Hunted. I am Tracy Newport, and with me as always is Matt Thomas. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm great, dude. How's everything going? Oh, it's going pretty good. It is a nice thunderstorming evening here we have been kind of dry for the past couple weeks and it's been do we need it so looking forward to that nice humid kentucky weather here tomorrow morning when you just walk outside it just sweat starts sticking to you fair enough fun times but we are halfway through our six degrees of separation arc and last week you did the the wolfman that starred benicio de toro and I decided to pull another movie that has him in the leading role in The Hunted, co-starring Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie prior or if this was your... Actually, I saw this in the theaters when it came out. Like, when I saw the the poster, yeah, which was Benicio and Tommy Lee Jones on it, I was, I was sold just on the poster. And I vaguely remember enjoying this uh-huh. like this was came out uh, this movie this movie came out like a, oh three two months before i graduated high school yeah and i, I like i said i vaguely remember enjoy like thinking it was all right and then whenever i went into this i remembered a few things but uh-huh. a lot of this i did not remember i can't i remember seeing it or maybe i also watched it with my one time, like in the living room at a family member's house or something like that, and I vividly remember seeing the scene with when he's talking about his shoe, the slipper with the flat with the bare sole. I vividly remembered that scene, and I saw this movie about eight to ten years ago. I remember seeing it there, and I enjoyed it, and I was like, you know what, this is a good movie to bring in here. And so I brought it back today, and I remember bits of it from when I pre saw it previously, but like you, a lot of this has kind of just drifted off into the ether after not seeing it for so long as i'll talk about later like this was definitely like the production value looked to me like a television movie not a movie movie and but that i mean you probably saw it on i, I would say stuff like fx or usa oh probably like on all the time it, it was the movie that it, after you watch the early afternoon NFL games, it, it would come on and then you would just fall asleep after you watched the Cowboys lose. Oh, thanks. I remember you had somebody else had a shit team there in time to year too when this movie came out. And the Tide's been a shit team for a long time. What you talking about? Like, ever, like we get a flash in a pan playoff hope. Like last year, number one seed in the AFC. And... <laughs> that was the second damn time. <laughs> Number one in the AFC. 
lost in the fir- first playoff game. But you guys lost to like your most your biggest rival outside of their division. Like the didn't Bang- Baltimore beat no Bengals. Oh, the Bengals. No, it was Bengals beat us. It was the 2020 playoffs when the Baltimore beat you guys. I thought that was the yeah because I think I they thought were... that was the Patriots. No, you... I mean we've been in the playoffs for a few years, but anyways, like it's like we get good and then like immediately just go right back into crap. Well, I mean you guys got a good head coach now. I mean, yeah. for Dallas, it's it's always this is our year. It's not our year. <laughs> It'll never be your year. You need it will be one day. I mean, one day for Christmas, I should get you a v- VCR. Oh, thanks. I think I have one actually. So you can so you can watch the Cowboys Super Bowl highlights. I can just put those up on YouTube, but I won't have to worry about it this year because yeah. But I mean, the last time they made the Super Bowl was when VHS was relevant. I know. But I'm not too worried about it because you know why we'll win the Super Bowl this year. Always got to have faith that I've been like the first step of the first six weeks. Man, being a Cowboys fan and having faith is like having faith in religion. That reminds me of when Dallas lost in the playoffs this year. Remember that picture that made its round about the internet about that dude crying wearing all the Dallas gear? Yes. And a girl standing next to him? It was great. Well, it turns out that picture, that dude was cheating on his wife slash specific other with and that, <laughs> and with that girl was there with him. And so then you get to see all the hoopla of the pose after that of like, that's not even, that's my fucking husband. And that's not even me in the picture. Oh, it was hilarious. But yeah, I mean, all I know is we were about a month and a half away from starting football season and I'm fucking ecstatic about it. Give it a month and a wear off. Yeah, did you did you watch any did you watch any of the fuck was it USFL? No, I did not. You didn't miss anything. Well, I saw your uh, your boy Jeff Fisher went like one in nine in that fucking yeah B league, and but all the game, all the USFL games are being played like right an, an hour away from me in Birmingham. Like all of them except for the play or. For the championship game, yeah, like that one, somewhere like an actual stadium. Like no, it played in Canton. Oh wow! I wonder how well it actually got received. Oh well, considering I think Birmingham, I think Birmingham went undefeated the entire fucking year. Wow! And won the championship, so I I don't think it's going to go that well, especially with in the spring is XFL. Oh, next year, and that's the Rock XFL, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the Rock XFL after he said after Vince McMahon said, Well, I, I need to pay off some more women or some bullshit. Or yeah, he his tax breaks and bullshit passed on him. Oh, do you do you hear what happened this week? No. Oh like the SEC's actually fully investigating him now because Yeah. Like he is fucked fucked. Yeah, well, I mean he's been deserving that come up that's for a while. Yeah, but back to the hunted. We're talking about the good old days of 03 and when life had a lot less fucking problems than it does now. Yes, and this is directed by William Friedkin, who has made some very notable movies, such as The French Connection and The Exorcist. I have seen neither of those two. 
Exorcist is like a you know hugely popular horror thriller. Yeah, like I I, I know it. It's got Linda Blair in it. Yeah, yeah, I know the premise of that movie. And this was written by the Griffith brothers, and they haven't really done much. Uh, one has done more, but Peter Griffiths wrote this in Collateral Damage, and then said, "I'm done screenwriting." I wonder why. Collateral Damage isn't you know that bad again, but the other writer was Art Monter Monteristelli. Art Monteristelli. And he also wrote the unnecessary fourth Rambo movie. Is this the one that came out like a couple years ago, or is this the one that? This is the one that came out in like 08. Oh, that's, I think that's the only one I've seen. <laughs> oh, you haven't ever seen the first three? No, I haven't. No, I haven't seen those. So the first one, really good. Uh, I'll actually talk about that throughout this episode because there's a lot of allusions to that movie. Yeah. The second one is fun if you like action movies because um, it's just Rambo being Rambo. That's whenever that's the that's the movie that everybody associates him. And then because is it Rambo one is much more of a portrayal of a, a Vietnam vet home dealing with PTSD. Yes. Right. Yes. And it it's really good. And then the third one is about uh, Rambo going to Afghanistan and helping helping them out. Like the Mujahideen in the 90s or like the Soviets yeah. in the 80s? Yeah, in the 80s. So the Mujahideen. <laughs> so we, we, so in Rambo 3, Rambo helps Osama bin Laden, essentially. Yep. And I mean, it's very like a lot of it. Cold War 80s you know, movie? Yeah. And the fourth one's where Rambo essentially lights up the entire Vietnamese army or whatever country, Cambodian army or some shit. Like when I say he lights up, I mean he, it's like his kill count, which. Oh, yeah. You never watch Kill Count on YouTube, but if James A. Janice ever did a, an action movie and he did it Rambo 4, it would be like in the, it would be like six, Hundred kills just by Rambo alone. Yeah, and then he's—I remember that movie because there's that quote where they're going up the river. That's the one I saw. He's like, "You got that thousand-yard stare look to you." And, and then you have the fifth Rambo that came out like a few years ago, where he does Home Alone shit at on his compound. Like that was. Hey, the Rocky reboot did well. Let's see if we can do the Rambo reboot. Which created Creed 2 is pretty damn good. Yeah. Rocky 5 is not, or Rambo 5 is not. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to Creed 3. Well, it's because of Ryan Coogler. Oh, I didn't even know that. I think he's directing it. But you get Michael B. Jordan again, so. Uh, no, Michael B. Jordan is directing it, too. Oh, he is? Yes. And... Pretty much, I'm never probably going to watch. I'm probably never going to watch this again. All oh, the hunted, yeah. Um, I'll probably watch it on a one off or so. I don't think I'll ever hit double digit viewings in it. This movie, I think the actors do well with what they're giving in here, but I mean, when you're this movie, in a sense, it deals with a lot of 
and we'll probably notice that when we talk about it, there's a lot of like quiet moments of them just kind of like stalking each other through woods and like suspenseful moments that there's not a lot of stuff going on. Like for me, there's like, and I'll say it later, probably there's not enough meat on them potatoes. Like you have loose plot threads that really don't go anywhere. And then it's a really quick movie. And like, like I said, like this is, Oh yeah. It's 90 minutes before credits. If it didn't have Tommy Lee Jones and Benicio del Toro, this wouldn't have ever hit the theater. No, it wouldn't have. I mean, time in movie, it's Benicio del Toro and Tommy Lee Jones are 90% of the movie, and you have Connie Nielsen for like 5%, and then the other rest of the cast takes up that last 5%. This is a movie that's very much around two people, which I think that's probably where 90% of the budget went to was those two people. Yeah, because Tommy Lee Jones got this is a this budget had something like 55 million, and Tommy Lee Jones's salary for this was 20 million. Damn. So, yeah. If you take out Tommy Lee Jones, Benicio Del Toro, Connie Nelson, the rest of the actors we'll talk about are pretty much TV actors. So, yeah, let's just jump into it. Well, first, the production company. This was a Lakeshore Entertainment film, an Alphaville film, and it was distributed by Paramount. And I'm kind of surprised, like, up until, like, we were getting ready to record this, this movie wasn't on anywhere to stream. Yeah, it was. No, up until we were ready to prepare for it. Oh, yeah, because we were like, where can we find this? Yeah, thing? and which is weird because it it's not like a like a big, big movie. Like you think that this would you like you said, it came distributed by Paramount. You would think that it would be on Paramount Plus. Yeah, well, it, it may be this may be one of those movies like I would be surprised like Paramount or any other distributors kind of like bundle some of their B in movies. I want to say that they have in their catalog kind of bundled together like Netflix, Amazon prime, which is where this is streamed at and kind of like, all right, you can have this listing of movies for $5 million for a year and kind of like a bulk package kind of deal. I wonder if that's how they get access to this is kind of like you have some intern just kind of putting a, like a humble bundle together for movies for streaming yeah. companies. They're probably like, if you want to be able to stream, the Underworld series or that atrocious Aeon Flux movie, you have to take this too. Maybe. They also did Crank. A lot of movies here, though, are, you know, not really prominent in the sense like big budget things. And you're talking about Lakeshore and Alphaville? Yeah, I'm talking about Lakeshore. Like they did Bulletproof Monk. I remember that movie vaguely. Uh, they also did Million Dollar Baby, which was an Oscar winner. That's with Hilary Swank, directed by Clint Eastwood. Yeah, I've never seen that one. But I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, they got every girl our age heartthrob movie, The Covenant. You forgot that one. I don't. That is like every girl, at least my age grouping, the ones especially enjoyed emo. Like there was a, if you did a Venn diagram of people who enjoyed emo and liked The Covenant, it'd be a circle. Now, I honestly don't remember that movie. Oh, it's about it's about a group of coming of age boys who find out they're who are witches, and one of them dies. So it's the craft, but with boys with men. Oh, so exactly. Like I said, email music, the covenant, Venn diagram is a zero. Holy shit! Sebastian stands in this movie. He is. <laughs> I mean, I have not seen this. It's, uh, you're not missing much. 
Holy shit. The Ugly Truth. I remember that movie. Fame, which I only saw, like, I saw more DVDs of that movie around the 2010s than anything else at, say, Walmart. Yeah, but in the 2010s, they just went downhill. Al Frankenstein, uh, the wet, like, I haven't seen The Wedding Year. AXL, like, what the fuck is that? They they did a another underworld because that's their that's their cash cow. Yeah, which I, I'm will say I think underworld, the Blood Wars I think is probably the better movie they've released in a while. Blood Wars was entertaining. Awakening was okay, which I know you're not a big fan of them. I don't think I've seen one after the first one. Oh uh, well, I was watching those about the time around Christmas. So after we went and saw No Way Home. But yeah, I mean, they, as you look at their list, they have a very typical 2000s production. Rom-com trying to, you know, 20, 20 to $30 million budget. In, embrace Empire, the Vampire, the Masquerade. Get the dirt. But yeah, I get what you mean by this movie looking very much a two TV movie. Yeah, cable TV, USA Network. That's what, that's the channel it went on if this didn't have star attachment oh yeah and you know looking at it and watching it even with streaming and i don't think i'm streaming in 4k or nothing like that but they ain't gonna update this in 4k oh i'm <laughs> streaming in hd even though it shouldn't be a false conversion it still kind of had it looked a little rough i don't want to say it looked horrible but it looked just slightly a little rough around the edges in the terms of like polish and stuff like looked a little it had if you were to say take the proverbial like a little bit of vaseline put it on the the camera lens kind of darken it, mm-hmm. which it's a, a very dark movie in that way. But so we open with one of the two songs that they committed, they got for this, which was Johnny Cash doing both. The first one, which I want to say are fantastic bookends for this song, like the Johnny, those Johnny Cash songs at the beginning and end of this movie, I think are fantastic bookends. Yeah. To close this move for this movie. Well, the first one is him doing a, just the intro to Highway 61 Revisited, which was originally by Bob Dylan. And this is where you, you were talking about, like, it doesn't look polished. I sometimes like that, uh, where, like, a lot of movies nowadays are getting to this, like, where everything has to be polished. The credits here don't look don't look digitally inserted to me. Yeah. Uh, like, there's some shakiness. And I think back to, like, Watch things like John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. That is a very rough around the edges movie. It doesn't look polished at all. It's good. And I think we could like go back to that kind of style. Like for some movies, instead of everything looking like has to look flashy. Yeah. Like bring back that kind of stuff. Uh, like even, well, current example, Better Call Saul has a great intro using odor well, what looks like older graphics. Yeah. Like for, for like public access, but you get what I'm saying here. Yeah. I'm like, I get that. There are parts of it, but there are also kind of parts where you're like, mm, wish it had a bit more of a, a bit more polished touch. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I see what you're saying, but I'm just saying like the, gr- like grittiness and graininess is not always a bad thing to me. Yeah. No, like there were definitely scenes in this film where I'm like, Hey, this is a good choice, but like there's a scene that takes place in a house and it's moved later on to move like a later part of the movie that it didn't really kind of didn't need to be quite so gritty there. 
<laughs> yeah, a lot of movies want to do, but today want to do color correction. And I, I saw a thread on Twitter where they were comparing the first Black Panther movie trailer to the movie itself. And the trailer looked far better than what the movie did. But you know what? If they're nitpicking Black Panther for the visuals of that and kind of the color and everything, I thought when I saw Black Panther in theater, and still now when I see it, I think it is a gorgeous movie. Oh, it's an amazing movie. I mean, people are going to get upset about like certain things, like the CG quality of it, which that's a that's a Marvel thing, not a artist thing. Well, it's just that some people like, I get it. There's like, in Infinity War, when like at the end when Bruce Banner's head is out of the Hulkbuster suit, mm-hmm. like it kind of looks like a little bit like a shitty CGI, like it is a little bit. But you know what? That's not going to ruin the movie for me. But some people act as if that totally ruins the fucking movie for them, and they never want to watch it because of that three second clip. Oh no! And I just don't understand how people can hate watch something like that. I guess what I'm trying really get around to is like. I would love to see filmmakers you go back to some old styles for certain movies. Like definitely not like Marvel movies. You don't need that. Oh no, unless you're doing like a Daredevil style like, like PI movie. Like just because the fucking Daredevil 18 episodes, what the hell? I'm here for it. <laughs> I mean, I am too, but I'm like god dang. That's like that's like four different series or three different that's like three different Marvel seasons. Wrapped up into one. It is. And I'm ready for it. I think there's, there's their attempt at long form storytelling like that. Sometimes use the old technology again, is what I'm saying. Like for cert- like for certain movies. Well, like wasn't it Hate Light shot on an old timey camera just to kind of give it that feel of being shot? What? What the Hate Light with Quentin Tarantino, wasn't that originally shot like on an older style film? Yeah, he uses uh yeah, he uses like older film stock, and I don't think he uses digital film. I'm almost, I'm like 80% positive he doesn't. Well, I remember because our mutual friend talked about like he specifically went to an art house theater to see when it came out. Yeah. Because they, they played it on that specific film stock that it was instead of doing a digital upgrade to, mm-hmm. to a larger theater for it. Yeah. So, where you open up after Johnny Cash intros us to Benicio Del Toro in a war zone. And we talked about him last week. I think he's a solid actor. I like the things he does. Yeah. But, and he, he'll he go out there for a role, like Collector or even uh, Last Jedi. Yeah. It seems like a lot of his roles, I don't say he's character cast like Johnny Depp is, but he does seem to have like, a role where there's a little like a screw or two is loose in the character. Mm-hmm. Like they're just a little off. They're not. I wrote in my notes, like the thing popped in my head. This is Kosovo. It's is Kosovo in the 1999. So this is taking place like right in the middle of the UN bombing campaign there. You also see the Serbian military, which is committing just a little casual genocide. I'm just going to say casual. A lot of fucking war crimes. God damn. Yeah. But just so you see him, he is a special forces operator of some extent, working his way through the battlefield, sight unseen, hiding, mixing in, laying with dead bodies to hide for cover as people walk by. Did you catch the 
random dude who spiked the camera on a bike. Uh-uh. It was this dude on a bike, um, and he just waves at the camera. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I was like, what? Maybe they did shoot it in Kosovo, and it's like, oh, shit, we got a guy. I just thought that was weird placement. Um, as we said, like, we're seeing a lot of atrocities from the Serbs in this, and the uh, thing that I thought of, I was like, thinking about when it came out, this was, this is a post-9-11 movie, so... And you have to get that rally around the flag effect that so many of these fucking movies that post this and post Iraq war did. Yeah. Which come, come to find out. Did you see when this came out? 2003, March 14th, 2003. Do you know what happened a week later? That was when we declared war on our, yeah, that's when the Iraq war started and a bunch of unnecessary shit after that. Oh Yeah. And we we see Benicio jump down a shaft, like not feet away from the Serbs, like who aren't even looking. It, and it very comes across to me as like a Three Stooges bit. Like it's very sneaky, sneaky. Like, and I don't know if they muffled, like removed his sounds of him crawling and stuff, but it's almost like they tried it. Like they tried to portray it as if he's damn near silent in all of his movements and stuff as he's working his way mm-hmm. up there. And we see this little girl in this room where he's jumped into and she like to tell you, this is war war as hell. And then she gets fucking shot. Is this the girl gets shot? Yeah, I think so. Cause memory picks up the bunny. I don't remember. He picks up the bunny afterwards. Oh shit. Yep. That's right. The girl gets killed. Like the entire, you see the entire family killed in front of them. And, and she walks down and bends over and picks up the bunny. I thought he did. Maybe I, I mean, it's just trying to, like, illustrate how shitty war is. Yes. And the stuff he's having to look at, because then we come to a couple of Serbs having a conversation, and they have, like, one quote is, they fucked our mothers, but we will fuck theirs. Too bad that dude didn't get to fuck any mothers because Benicio fucking kills this dude. You saw the dude, the picture hanging on the mosque, I'm assuming that was a mosque because typically that was yeah yeah that was a Slobodan Milosevic no, no yes it was Milosevic oh that's what I was wanting to verify when I was like looking through picture like that's him and you see him kind of like worshiping the guy yeah ah, you fucking bastard but then you see the commander in this the dude who he sent to kill gets got yeah and dies and I'm like good fuck him and afterwards he gets the silver star award and. Then we start seeing PTS set in yep. for what he's experienced. Wakes up in the middle of the night in his bunk. Yeah. And at first I was like, wow, this is very forward thinking. Holy shit. Because most movies skirt around this issue, especially around this time. They've kind of acknowledged it better. And then they kind of not. I mentioned Rambo earlier. That was a good movie to talk about Vietnam vets returning issues. Of course, they pretty much disregarded that afterwards. You, you talk about other movies, like that shitty-ass American Sniper movie. Pretty much ignored everything from that fucking dude. And Zero Dark Thirty, I think, kind of addresses the shit they have to go through. But even then, they could still do more to talk about this instead of like trying to act like that all soldiers are you know, essentially John Wayne's. Yep. But then they pretty much drop this whole PTS thread. 
Well, I think the way I gather as the movie went on is he was suffering through PTSD and he snapped and in a sense he went off the reservation. So we go from this to beautiful British Columbia and we see Tommy Lee Jones running through a snooze, running through the snow. And I like Tommy Lee Jones a lot. He's been in several movies I enjoy, like The Fugitive. I don't re- really enjoy U.S. Marshals, but I'll watch it because it was filmed in where we're from in West Kentucky. Love No Country for Old Men. Uh-huh. The Men in Black series, Space Cowboys, which isn't that good. Space Cowboys is good. Okay. Chip Hazard and Small Soldiers. Uh-huh. Which I, I enjoy Small Soldiers a lot. And he's having a conversation with this wolf who has stepped on a snare. And he digs in this plant to help the wolf. But come to find out, even in Canada, even in the middle of fucking nowhere, there is a pub. And the government can find you too. Yes. Well, no, this is where he just uses the snare trap and wraps it around this dude's neck and slams him on the fucking table. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I do want to say, if you randomly walk up on a wolf trapped in a snare... He's not going to let you let him free. He will try to fuck you up. No, this is like Call of the Wild, dude. He's got a connection with the wolf. Because for some reason, we still have this fantasy that we can have this connection to animals. And that the animal just wouldn't, you know, fuck you bite you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, But yeah, like you're saying, he's he walked in that pub and he's like, Whose initials is JW? You got the name of JW? He's like, I do. He's like, Fisher Snooze? like, yeah. And he wraps it around the dude's neck and just slams his head on a table. And he's like, don't ever use a snare here again. <laughs> I was like, get him. It's like people, like movies where you see people connect with the, like a dolphin. Uh-huh. And that dolphin would absolutely fuck your world up. They would. Animal Kingdom does not fuck around. Mm-hmm. You could fuck around and find out. Then we go jump back to Oregon. We have a four-year time jump. No, I thought, okay, so this is what I thought, Tommy Lee Jones, but, like, that was happening at the same time in Oregon. No. And that's what I, I questioned, like, why didn't they just say 2003 was in winter? I don't know. But the time jump happens after, I assume that you have where he kind of has his PTSD issues late 1999 after his assassination mission and then Tommy Jones little scout. I don't know why that scene's in this movie. It's not really necessary. But they could have done without it. What? The Tommy Lee Jones one? The, that first Tommy Lee Jones snow with the wolf. They probably put him in there for a couple of reasons. One, to extend the runtime because it is a short runtime. And two, just to establish the character instead of having come whenever you see him later. Well, then they could have done the four-year time jump prior and yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like the time jump should have happened after Benicio's first scene. It should have, but it, it didn't, and they put it here randomly for some reason. The time jump it takes us to the forest of Oregon, as we see these look look to be hunters with some fancy ass fancy ass rifles with some big ass scopes on them. Oh, they didn't have fancy ass rifles. They had fancy ass scopes on those rifles. Yeah, they have a typical bolt action. And uh, even in two thousand three, you have. Second Amendment dudes going overboard with shit. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. But you see these guys moving through the woods, and they're, I see them right there. And you kind of see something to move off in the distance. And you think they're hunters, but they come up on Benicio Tatora's character. And he's in full on dress camp, like camouflage, face paint, everything. 
and they he starts running in the woods, fucking with him like he's fucking with his food. Well, I likened it to the scene in First Blood where Rambo is in the forest and he is fucking with the cops left and right. And they act like the cops from that movie, too. Just pretty ridiculous. Yeah, dumb. And, you know, they're walking through the forest moon of Endor looking for this dude. And this is one of those plot threads where they either should have had it or shouldn't have had it like these like implying they're there to kill him, not to hunt. It's like pick one. Well, I gather from a later scene, they were there to kill him. They were not there to hunt. But they intentionally, like this movie intentionally doesn't tell you. Yeah. And I'm like, pick pick one lane. Just pick one. If you're going to be, if you're going to try to have a streamlined movie like this, pick one. Don't try to throw stuff in there for no reason. Learn from nobody. Yeah. And he does give like one dude a love tap with his knife, like on the face. And for some reason, Benicio has Jason Voorhees powers because he just starts appearing in different places throughout the forest. And I'm like, that's just how sneaky he is. He was in like, in one scene, he is up in the trees. Yeah. Like cut and cut to like, not even a minute later. And he is already killing both of these dudes off screen. One of them gets caught in the snare. He cuts another one's hand and just kind of off and on, just kind of catches them, disables them. And then he just straight up kills them. Yeah. And we go back to Tommy Lee Jones, who's in a random ass shop in the middle of nowhere. Like it's like a general store in the middle of the forest. Like imagine uh, the dude's shop in Frozen where it is in the middle of nowhere and it's like, what the hell is going on? And this is where Ted shows up, who's played by John Finn. You probably, if you, you ever watched The Walking Dead? Yeah, it's been a few years. He was Earl Sutton. Okay. He was in another movie with Tommy Lee Jones prior to this with uh, Blown Away, which is Tommy Lee Jones is a terrorist and he's has a pretty bad Irish accent throughout the whole thing. Sounds like a bad movie. Just Tommy Jones the terrorist. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind that Tommy Lee Jones being a villain in a movie, but it's, I mean, he did Batman forever. Was it a good movie, Matt? I'll watch it. It's not good, but I'll watch <laughs> it. And, but also John Finn was in this movie. You've probably seen Tracy. Uh, Glory. It doesn't ring a bell. You never saw Glory about the first all black Massachusetts regiment? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't even watch that in school? Nope. And my <laughs> high school teacher made us watch that every year. Well, my teachers in high school wanted us to read from the book and alternate turns reading from books in class. Do what? Instead of actually teaching us, my high school teachers would have us sit there, my high school history teachers, and read from the book. We'd read a paragraph or two, and then somebody else in class would have to read a paragraph or two. We didn't actually didn't teach a lot. But he played the drill instructor in that movie. Oh, gotcha. I mean, it's an okay movie. Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick. We need to check out, maybe? Carrie Yules, I think. We need to check out. I enjoy it. And he meets him in this general store, and then he walks with Tommy Lee Jones to discuss the case of the two dead hunters or 
hitman or whatever. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I ain't shit, dude. I'm not walking that far through the snow. It's like, no, no, here, we can have a chit chit chat here at the table where I'm at, or I can hand you the stuff and you can walk. Yeah. I'm not doing that shit. Well, like, I think, are you saying they left and then went to there? They did it there. Like, he came looking for Tommy. No, they left. They left and went to Tommy Lee Jones's cabin. Maybe he's not too far away. And that's just kind of like a central location. Still, but like, I mean, even if it's even if it's like a mile away, that's still walking through the snow like that. Yeah, but also, like, you can kind of see, like, they have a Tommy Jones character and Finn's character have a history together. Like, it's even hinted at and with Okeechobee. Yeah, I think, and you can see, obviously, in this situation, one person really wants Tommy Lee Jones' help, and Tommy Lee Jones is kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to fucking do this or not. And you could see that. They have discussion about Tommy Jones. It's like, I'm done with that life. I don't want nothing else to do with it. It's beyond me. I just kind of want to be left the fuck alone. And the other guy just would not let it fucking drop. And it leaves him these pictures, which I guess Tommy Lee Jones just looked at the pictures the whole fucking time because he next thing you see him is in a helicopter still looking at these photographs of this mutilated bodies. They got drawn and quartered. They're fucking dismembered like deer. Yeah, and there was like I, I think this this is where even just a here soon is where they implied like there's a chance that he was that Benicio was a cannibal. Yeah. And I'm like, again, stop throwing like all the like stop throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. They should have just left that alone, I think in my opinion. He does get in um get in the helicopter, he goes and they take him straight to Oregon to look at the crime scene. And this is where you see a bunch of FBI and local police, like Jose Zuniga, character actor in several things, and has done a ten ton of te- television episodes. He was in Con Air. He was also in Twilight. I know him in Con Air. I've never watched the Twilights. I've seen the Twilights, but and we have a thirty-five millimeter alum with Connie Nielsen, yep, who's playing an FBI agent. Talked about her previously in Nobody, Hippolyta, and Wonder Woman. She's in One Hour Photo. She's in a lot of shit. And you find out here, Tommy Lee character is also afraid of heights. Like he gets off and just starts puking. Yeah, and this is yeah, this is where she tells tells him the two men were killed, and it looks like a ritualistic killing. And this is where he said he knew it wasn't, and then suggests that they were going to be eaten. And I'm like, you're in a forest with animals. Well, they were there. And that one, they were trying to say, we think it was this. No, that was, they were trying to liken it to an indigenous tribe in the area. But he's like, and they never had a case of cannibalism. Like they were saying like it shouldn't have been because they, that tribe did not participate in cannibalistic rituals. In any case, this is where Tommy Lee Jones just takes the, becomes the leader of the investigation. Yeah. And just tells everybody they need to get the fuck out. They said, like, oh, yeah. And he's like, there's too many people fucking stuff up. And needs to leave. They're causing muddy in the tracks, what he's looking for, trying to find. And they use, they say that's two businessmen from Bedford. Yeah. Is all they could find information on. But then you hear them um, talk about it, And then it's like, um, they showed up. There's a hunters, but they don't have any coolers or anything with them to keep the meat cold if they kill them. They have no utensils to clean or deer. I mean, so they're not hunting. Something's going on here. Yeah, and he finds so they all fall back like 
apparently you listened to a person that was a government contractor, not, you know, your own shit. And he finds the trap, the snare trap from earlier and the evidence. Then they, he finds the knife puncture in a tree, which earlier Benicio had thrown the knife to distract him. And there was this weird zoom in on his face, on Tommy Lee's face. And he's like, I'll go in and find him. I'll find Benicio. Just give me two days or, or, or else I'm dead. Like, and she gives him a radio and he shakes it like he's never messed with a radio in his life. That was like, uh, why are you giving this? I'm not going to use the fucking thing. And so the hunt is on. And he, he immediately gets down on all fours and starts looking for him. And he finds his hat out with a Bible when Benicio shows up. And this is where they have like a confrontation and they're talking and fighting. In his hideout, he found a, a letter I read with a telephone number on it as well. Yeah, well, which yeah, doesn't come into play until much, much later. This is where you find out he trained Benicio de Toro and there's some nice close quarter fighting. It's different than what you kind of used to. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia says that it's based off Filipino martial arts. Yeah. But I mean, it's, there's no music going on. It's very reminiscent of the movie They Live. I don't think I've ever seen that. Row- Rowdy Roddy Piper? Oh, I've definitely never seen it then. Holy shit. It's such a good movie. It's a John Carpenter movie. Uh, I won't give anything away except to talk about the fight then. The, in one scene, there's a fight with Keith David in that, which we talked about Keith David previously. But they fight for a solid, I think it's like five to ten minutes. Like no, no music, no nothing. And they, it looks real. And that's what kind of this reminded me of. Yeah. That's right. I probably putting in a work though. He just called it in the ring on that one. Yeah. But uh, all of this ends whenever Benicio del Toro shot by a dart taken out and 90, 30 minutes in, and we're already going into this pretty much the second act. Yeah. And Connie Nielsen's like, we put a tracker in the radio so we could find him. Yeah, but I'm just like, okay, you got him. This is the movie. So, I mean, essentially, like, they had to create some bullshit to get to extend the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, they do that with a lot of movies of a similar style like this, though. But he gets taken in, and Connie Nielsen's kind of, like, trying to poke at the history behind Tommy Jones' character and the relationship with uh Benicio Zor's character. And uh, Tommy Lee's like, I don't know him. I never know doing much. Just kind of like he was just kind of like another face in a dozen of names, you know, kind of like I trained him, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And then he gets taken into, I'm assuming, which is like the Northwest District FBI headquarters. Yeah, he's taken to Portland. I take it to a interrogation room in there. And then you get the course that the governmental types show up in suits. Well, there's a yeah, he's brought in, and this is where you we meet Ron Canada. Yeah. Who is like the director of of the FBI. And he's been a, another character actor in a lot of TV shows. Say that again. I'll probably say that for everyone here. And he was a, the judge in Ted 2. Uh, Tracy's currently doing a West Wing watch, and he is Theodore Barrow in that. I don't think I've got to him yet. I'm on starting season four, so... And he was very recognizable in Home Alone 2 as the cop. He was also in National Treasure 2, which it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah. He's in Man of the House. Yes. Yes. That, not, not the Tommy Lee Jones Man of the House. The Jonathan Taylor Thomas Man of the House. 
So Ron Canada is talking to Tommy Lee Jones while Benicio is being interrogated. And st- Benicio is giving this spiel about chickens dying or some shit. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones stops him, though, from talking about military operations. He, he started to say Operation Black, and he's like, you shut your mouth before you get us into bigger trouble than what you want to know about. Okay. And you're kind of like, uh. Again, another thing about the this thread about this black, this deep state conspiracy. You got some Alex Jonesing going on here. <laughs> Entire deep state conspiracy that special forces operators are being taken out. They talk too openly about their missions. Yeah, and all of a sudden, because the script calls for it, some agents show up to take Benicio Del Toro. And one of them is Mark Pellegrino. He's been in a lot. If you've ever watched Supernatural, he's Lucifer. Did you ever watch Lost? Nope. Uh, I, I skipped that high train. I, I watched the last few seasons of it, but he was Jacob in that, which is kind of like, I, I don't know how to explain it because it's Lost. He was also in National Treasure 1, Mulholland Drive, Lethal Weapon 3. He was in No Hogs Bard with uh, Hulk Hogan. And what you going to do, brother? It, and then, like, one of his early roles was Death Wish 4. And I was like, holy shit, he's been acting that long. Hey. Death Wish 4? Yeah, with Charles Bronson. Hey, let's go. Huh. I'm going to kill you. So, but they get an order, like, they got to get rid of, they got to get rid of Benicio Del Toro. Well, also, the same people who showed to pick him up are former members of his military unit as well. They served, they were in his unit that he was in in Kosovo. Sure. Well, they're, they're the same actors, so I'm assuming they're the same people. I must have missed where Pellegrino was in there earlier. Like it, it's they only show him for like a half second each, and it's kind of like it's in the scene where they're given where he's given the silver star. Like you see like a a snapshot of each of these three faces, and you're kind of okay. And so it's just kind of enough to kind of like, hey, here you go. And this is where we get another conversation with Tommy Lee and Connie Nielsen, which I'm like. It kind of feels like they're trying to tease a romantic thing with them. Oh, they they tease and they try so hard. Yeah, again, another plot thread that was unnecessary. I feel like that's a trapping that a lot of movies fall into, though, is. And I don't know how you feel about it, but a lot of movies like to just kind of wedge like a romantic storyline into a movie for no fucking reason other than like, oh, there's no love story, so we got to have it in there. But... They really didn't need them. Like, that's one of the things I love most about Rogue One is there's not a fucking romance going on in it at all. Yeah. Or, you know, there's some other movies where, like, a dude and a woman are, you know, friends. Just keep, like, not everything has to have romantic attachments to it. I agree. And she's, but then she asked, like, the one question you never really ask anyone that's ever done military work or, even contracted work. Have you ever killed somebody? Yeah. Have you ever shot anyone? Oh, no, 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 no. So I'm sorry. Let's roll that back a second. Tommy Lee asked her a question that you never ask anyone that's ever worked in law enforcement or military or contracted work. He asked her if she's ever shot anyone. Uh-huh. And she's like, yeah, have you? And he's like, no, because apparently... Guns aren't, you know, they're they take away from the sport or some shit. I don't know. He's almost pacifist in that sense. Yeah. Well, he's not well, like he does say like 
something about how he's never been in the military because his dad said no. And they, but he starts talking about how he trained Benicio del Toro in these wilderness skills. Like he had the worst case scenario book opened and looked through things. Uh-huh. Also, he starts talking weirdly about how the urban setting that they're in in Portland is a wilderness. I do like how he is shown how nervous he is about being in the city, which I entirely relate to. Uh-huh. Too many people, too many potentials that he has that he can't account for. Yeah. And I think that's similar to like what he was talking about. The wilderness is like for him, this is like, cause he says like Benicio Kittor's character took to his training, like a fish to water. Like he was exceptionally skilled at everything he taught him. He picked it up easy and went learned it very quickly. And so like, he talked about Benicio and he's like, he trained him to be the best of the best to survive and to kill. And that a lot of people who were in the same room with Benicio's character did not know he was in there and they, and he killed them. Like apparently Benicio's character is like top upper, upper echelon of skills. And like the man that was brought in to do wet work quite a bit, Like that was like his sole purpose. It's apparently tied to. Get into kind of like another loose plot, plot thread is about how Benicio's character treats Tommy Lee's character as a father figure. He does. And Tommy Lee is like, I, I didn't have sex with your mom, dude. Like pretty much like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like I, I went for milk. I went out for milk one day, dude. <laughs> well, it's hinted at that. I think Benicio's dead character did not grow up in a, did not have a father figure growing up. Well, I mean, he, or he had a shit, or he had a shitty childhood, which, you know, he's in the military, so. It's a 50 50 there. Yeah. You find out that the people who came to show up to pick up Benicio the character, that he has actually killed four of these hunters. We're going to do some correction marks around hunters, because it's also feeling very heavily implied that this is my thoughts the way the story about reading in between lines is. The government knew he went off the uh, went off the range and kind of lost it. And so they were trying to take him out. And four people have been sent after him so far. And this is where the two hunters we saw in the beginning they got killed. Well, they imply they imply it. They don't really outright say it. And yeah, but it's heavily implied. Well, th- it was intent like the director intentionally left it vague. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, mm, probably shouldn't have done that. Or you should have like leaned more into it and said like because it's not long after this that that whole shit is dropped like where they just stop talking about that period yeah they do leave some stuff like that just kind of dangling for no reason yeah and oh and one scene in this is benicio in an interrogation room without cuffs on just walking around and i'm like oh okay that's a fast way to die yeah and but they they get him out of there and they they bring up another escape scene because Tommy Lee Jones loves a good escape scene in this movie, if you've ever seen The Fugitive. Yeah, but from what apparently the what caused him to go off the range is the last mission he went on was not the Kosovo mission. It was a mission to protect a family that got, or not a mission to protect a family. It was a mission to take out a high-priority target, and he went and killed the entire family and killed everybody. Then they should have shown that scene instead of the Kosovo scene. Or shown it after, like, yeah, the next scene after the Kosovo scene and showed what happened. Because then he's telling 
the new Satoru's character is like, they all have weapons. And it's like, and his former squad mates were like, no, you're getting to the point where you can't tell the sharks from the guppies anymore. Everybody's an enemy to you at this point. And, and so they, this is where they try to kill him, but he gets the upper hand and the car flips like in the fugitive. Well, like, he tries to kill him and he wrestles the gun away from the dude or, or he the dude pulls out a gun and he wrestles it away from him and they shoot the driver in the back of the fucking head yeah that's almost similar to what happened oh, no u.s marshals that's almost what happened in u.s marshals where the driver gets his head shot and then it crashes i'd have to watch the fugitive again it could have happened in there too maybe tom Lee's trying to redo that movie you gotta gotta get all them high notes yeah so it, he kill he kills them all, and Benicio takes Pellegrino's clothes before disappearing. Which, for a dude that escapes a lot in this movie and runs, he has a lot of time to change clothes at the same time. And just the fact of how well he's moving, considering he was in a box truck like that and got bounced around like a fucking sh- like a ping pong ball. Oh yeah, as it flipped and he crawls out of it. And at the same time, this is going on. It, again, another this quick scene with Tommy Lee and Connie Nielsen talk, uh, and he's hitting on her or some shit. And then he says, "Like I'm gonna drive home," but then you see him at the airport. Like, which is it, bro? Yeah, and that airport scene, like he looked entirely creeped out by the kids running around. Oh yeah, I would be too because the kids were acting stupid. <laughs> and there, and he like, there's too many people here, too many potential threats. I can't keep an eye on them all. Fuck me. Tommy Lee's in this airport, and then I hear something off in, in the background that'll date me better than shit is when I hear the names Jerry Stackhouse, Alan Iverson, and Vince Carter. Yeah, I'm like, oh shit! Wow, this is definitely 2003. Yeah, and it's when they're talking about the update, they almost use the same phrase verbatim, word for word, on two different updates. Oh, they did. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I noticed. Like, wait, what? But uh, what? but they do. I do see the news scene break. Like, they have some breaking news, and they're talking about him escaping or some shit. They don't really know. The transport crowd wreck. And this news crew is like right on top of this fucking wreck. It's pretty much news guy tape crime scene. Yeah, and it's like. They should be smelling bodies and like, yeah, this should be nasty. <laughs> like they could have filmed this at another road somewhere where they gave them some space to make it look more believable. Uh-huh. At the same time, you're getting a, a flashback with Tommy Lee where he was wearing a porn stash. Now that's the entire reason you came for the movie is the Tommy Lee porn stash. Yeah, exactly. He's teaching Benicio del Toro how to kill and how to make a knife. It's a training montage. Yeah. It, well, at the same time, you see Benicio Del Toro narrating a letter he's written. And it very much a fucking Dear Stan letter. He's like, I wrote you, but you ain't calling. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is very much. And like, I think it even really, really drives home just to how off the range he's fucking gone. And mental he's not there. And there, there's this. So, so Tommy Lee's like, all right, I'm back in the game. I'm le- I'm leading this expedition, I guess, because y'all ain't doing y'all damn job. Him showing back on the scene was such a like, oh, what the hell? Because he pulls up in a cab at the wreck, like right next to where the fucking wreck wreck <laughs> is at. He gets out, walks off, and kind of walks off to where we saw the Nietzsche 
characters leave and just kind of walks off away and you're like, already on the trail. <laughs> just- yeah, well, because you also get this weird ADR of Ron Canada saying he's loose. Like, yeah, Ron Canada is nowhere in that scene. And then you hear him say he's loose. I'm like, OK, because this movie got places to be and shit. We, we go. We're moving and we're at this house now. We finally meet Irene and we meet Irene, who is played by Leslie Stephenson. She's best known as it for her role in The General's Daughter as the titular daughter. Uh-huh. Which it, it's an okay movie. It's a it's a military crime movie, kind of like Courage Under Fire, stuff like that. Yeah. And but to me, I recognized her as Sylvia from Flubber. I haven't seen that movie in two decades, minimum. Do you remember when the robot, when Weibo the robot creates a human manifestation of itself? I think so. And tries to pretty much you know rape Robin Williams in that movie. No. Okay, like that—that's Leslie Stephenson, and then she just kind of stopped acting after this movie, and then came back just a few years ago. Her introduction is kind of creepy because she pulls up in her car, her kids with her, and then Benicio Tour just kind of pops out, like, "Hey, Irene," and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, well, there's a whole lot of bad choices in this scene uh, because she's rightfully like, "Dude, you've been gone for six six months," and. He tells her the truth, where he's been, but she doesn't believe him. And it seemed like she wanted nothing to do with him at all. Yeah. But the relationship between Benicio de Toro and her daughter is like what the link that allowed her to invite him back in the house at minimum. Yeah. And so, and then we immediately cut to night. So he's been there for a while, just chilling. Again, we earlier we saw like where Tommy Lee saw the photo of her and the number and they have to know that he would be there. Yeah, like that's the closest idea of like, well, Which, we'll start here. Kind of weird that of all, like that she just happened to be in the same town that he's, you know, pretty much having under hostage. What happened is he uh, he went up to the woods and he wanted somebody. Irene was close enough that he could come in for a hot meal in the shower once a week. And but he takes this little girl outside to teach her about tracking the squirrel and the nine inches apart and the step pattern of the there's some weird delivery about a cat here the cat's a hunter and don't interrupt him during the hunt yeah some bullshit like and all of a sudden irene has changed her mind about him because he spent a few minutes with her and is where he gives her a fuck ton of money to you know disappear disappear and get out quick but he's still there and we've gone tonight. He's there all night and it's the next morning that the authorities finally show up. Yeah. And it's Irene's got the kid on the bus and it's like, go. And you can kind of see that she's packed bags to leave and the authorities catch her at the bus stop. And it's like, we're looking for this gentleman. He's armed and dangerous. You know, he's like, no. And I'm like, you could tell she's lying through her fucking teeth. Yeah. As she's talking about it. So this is, this is, I'm sorry. This is a major fugitive from the law. They wouldn't wait overnight. They'd be like, oh, well, I've got to clock out, I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, but Tommy Lee's Sam Gerard would never have let that fucking fly. This wasn't a... They, for, first 48 was not a thing then. So they didn't know that they had 48 hours to get the guy. 
And yeah, they stop her on the sidewalk really creepily too. Yeah. It's like as she's putting her kid on the bus and apparently Tommy Lee's the only one that can see the tracks of Benicio Del Toro. And they, he walks up the stairs and Irene, instead of being like, do you have a warrant or anything? Just complains and lets him do it. Well, she let him into his house at that time. Like once in the law, like yeah, she let him into the house and immediately you agree to be searched. But Tommy Lee's not, not the law. Maybe he was special deputized officer. And him. he sees the cat and some hair trimming. So he knows he's there and he finds him in another room. So they start talking. I wrote you LT. Wrote you LT, but you still ain't calling. And uh, don't forget his like, if you cross this line, you better be ready to kill me. <laughs> Which what? <laughs> and he, he's like, they're coming for me. Or Tommy Lee tells him they're coming for him. Benicio says they'll always be coming. And Tommy Lee better be prepared to kill him. Get across this line. And But Connie Nielsen does the smartest thing here and just draws a gun on him. However, he jumps out. He was prepared to jump out a window at that point. Yeah. And then you see Tommy Lee see him jump out. And so Tommy Lee goes out there and he's on a roof and he already establishes a afraid of heights. And you see Tommy Lee jump off the roof and he falls like a sack of, sack of potato. Just blind. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that was the actual, if he did that himself or is that a stunt man doing it? I think it was a stunt man. But he just fell like a sack of potatoes. And then we get this most random ass high speed chase. It's a low speed. It was pretty much a low speed chase. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like low speed chase as he's trying to like drive this old Buick with Saber trying to push it through cars <laughs> and stuff. And he gets, he gets stopped. But at the same time, Tommy Lee is like running after this car. I know. And I'm like, Tommy, Tommy, you are well into your fifties at this point. Don't go, go steal a car or something, dude. He has to feel young. He's got his cardio up. And, but he, he runs for a little bit, but he stops and goes back and he's like drenched in sweat because yeah, of course. And they look in the locker, which was like, Oh, it's got four locks. But then, the, but there's like only a few things in there. I do want to say we did miss one important thing mm. is when the car gets stopped on this low speed chase, mm-hmm. the Ichator gets that runs out and seeing police of 2003 compared to police of today was a very stark contrast because if that would have been today, fuck everybody standing behind him. They would have shot him there. Oh, this movie would have been over in the first five minutes. If it's today. Yeah. They would just carpet bombed the woods, but got him. Yeah, they would have been like, oh, yeah, we we local law enforcement procured some unexpended munitions from the U.S. military to go with our fucking LRAD fucking truck. We used our Hair Mars truck here we have for policing neighborhoods and just took care of the forest. And he is dead, along with 30 different species of local wildlife. They were like, oh, Venecio's gone to this construction site. So that's where they all come, come to. And at first, I'm like, what the fuck did y'all do to Jose Zaniga? Because he is wearing this FBI sash on his arm. <laughs> and I'm like, what the? I'm like, later on, you see others wearing it. But at first, I'm like, is this a rib on him? Did they, did they, they were they fucking with him when they put this on him? Yeah. When the props department was like, hey, you need to wear this. And they had a, a hunt in the underground. Yeah, now we're like in the ur- like construction urban chase part of the movie. And Tom- Tommy Lee's like, 
all right, bye, y'all. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to go do it. And they have some weird Dutch camera angles in this movie right here. Like, a Dutch camera, it's like, this is, this is a Dutch, like, like when you film in, this is like this. Uh-huh. And this is how you see things. Yeah. This is Dutch. Fun. Like, when they start going, like, turning the camera like this. Uh-huh. And, and different scenes, which really threw me off whenever I was watching this because they hadn't done it anywhere else in this movie. And, but Ron Canada, poor Ron Canada, comes up on a dead body and then he's offed. Like he's telling, like, he doesn't look down on the ground first to see that there's blood dripping, but poor dude just gets killed. And then Jose Zaniga's next and has a knife just thrown into his neck. I'm like, God damn. Yeah. The blood splatter coming out of his neck was definite CG. Uh-huh. Like, t- like looked like TV CGI. But at the same time, Connie Nielsen's not even noticing Ron Canada dead. Like, just like, nothing. Like, poor dude. And there's some, like I said, we're going into the urban tracking part. And there are some convenient tracking skills Tommy Lee has that wouldn't really fly in real life. Oh yeah, it's it's hunting in a concrete jungle. It's like, yeah, I know he went this way. You just kind of see like Tommy Lee's character. Like, I don't know how in the hell they why they did it this way. Like that one was shot like a comedy of like you will see like Benicio Coro's kind of character kind of hiding in a spot. Like, where's Waldo? Yeah, and Tommy Lee Jones walk by him, and then Benicio Toro's character walk off another way. And then the next scene, it's a similar shot of Tommy Lee Jones walking by Benicio del Toro. And- well, today that wouldn't even happen in Portland. Like there's a camera every five feet in that damn da- in that damn city, and he, there was a funny one thing I laughed about this was whenever he's he finds tracks in the park, which I'll get into that in a second. But there he's comes across a bunch of like hot topic kids, like 2003 hot topic gear. They went to the nearest one and bought everything, full on gothic. Then they do a quick cut to Connie Nielsen because they're like, oh, yeah, she's still in this movie. Don't forget, y'all, just to show she's grieving. Like, they were like, oh, shit, we forgot to add something there. And then we go to these, like, waterfalls in Portland, which I think are popular. I've never been there. Thanks, he sees them in this through the waterfall. And, again, these shoes, which were played of to be, like, harder to track people with, apparently isn't because Tommy Lee can just find them. Find these tracks everywhere. I think Connell, he's got a, a nose of a bloodhound, has got a scent. And holy God, the number of extras in this movie. Yeah. Just a bunch of random fucking people. There's a lot of fucking people. I know Portland's a big city, but uh-huh. Jesus Christ, they are they are shoulder to shoulder throughout this whole scene. I wonder if they didn't even do that and just kind of like gorilla shot it and didn't tell them it was being shot. And Tommy Lee is unbelievably keeping up with Benicio Del Toro throughout this whole thing. Like in one part, he literally runs up to and catches a train going through, going through town. But at the same time, it's like, well, was his tracking skills really worth that much? Because the cops are also stopping this train. And you see, I think was a jank ass scene there because Benicio Toro's character jumps in between a connecting spot between two trains and his knife is sharp enough to cut the plastic there on that train. Yeah. He's got like one of them knives that it's a lightsaber knife. It's gotta be. Yeah. Cut through anything. And 
so these cops shot, stop this train that Benicio's in, and they, and then all of a sudden, Benicio del Toro obtains parkour skills, like starts climbing the the ropes of the bridge, going up to the top. Yeah, it, and this is where I feel like this might have been the original ending to the movie. And then they realized how short it was. Yeah, because jumps goes up to the top, and then he jumps off at the same time. You hear a gunshot. Uh huh. And but there's still 20 minutes left. Yeah. And that jumps off the bridge should have cut and killed him anyways. Yeah. And it doesn't help that the cops had stormtrooper targeting skills. Yeah. And so they go back to a briefing where Tommy Lee's like berating him like, y'all dumbasses, he's still alive. And I'm the only one that can stop him now. I made him what I he is. And I could stop him. They wanted to put like a full on like unit, like a massive like operation together to try to catch him and he told me he's like what's an acceptable body count for you 200 30 40 people like he will kill all you guys like only i can do it just me well apparently tommy lee's never heard of you know securing the perimeter and then engaging but we're back in tommy lee's arena because fuck that city life yeah it's like they're on the woods over like either an abandoned factory that's off ashore or if it's like an older dam yeah because we see what Tommy gets out there, like him and Benicio Toro, all of a sudden Benicio Toro somehow takes the struts off the car or train, and he's able to make a knife out of it with just some twigs and straw, and able to get that hot enough to where he can fold the steel off that struts and turn, make him a knife and sharpen it. As Tommy Lee makes a knife out of a rock, like you see this little video of uh, two men going to war. Yeah, and I'm like, this is the scene that has always stuck with me was them two making knives. Uh huh. One making metal, which is going to be some fair, significantly superior to a rock. And, and this is where it also dawns on me that after this, there's no dialogue for the entire movie. Really? Throughout the rest of the movie for the next 20 minutes, there is no dialogue. I didn't realize that. And I'm like, ah, dang, like, I'm sorry. I mean, it's a what happens is, I mean, okay, but it's not no dialogue. Okay, <laughs> it's it's not the uh, Thanos sitting out smiling at a grateful universe. Yeah, dialogue worthy. No dialogue worthy. So yeah, we enter in the the final confrontation part, and Tommy Lee walks into the woods, and I know some movies don't care about how much time takes place. This apparently gave Benicio Del Toro plenty of time to craft Home Alone in the Woods. Yeah, with a couple traps and... Like, the fucking logs smashing together, like, that ATSTs in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> and they shows up to... He set up his own little Ewok defense system. Yeah, just, like, has crafted arrows, like, like thick arrows, stakes, and snares, and... and- everything and i'm like well how much how long did it take for you to make a rock knife dude and of course every single one of these tommy lee jones avoids is like i see what's going on here he takes an arrow to the leg though yes he does i actually did put that in here and he almost took an arrow to the knee yeah well yeah that's what i have here he shows up <laughs> to the rundown factory where benicio is in his john rambo element and walks to a cliff where the tracking expert makes a dumbass mistake and takes that arrow to the knee. 
And this is where he saw where Tommy Lee saw what Harrison Ford did in The Fugitive and jump into a waterfall with some bad CGI. It's worse. Yes. That's what I have here. Like Tommy Lee is, well, his character's dead once he falls, right? Should be. Because he falls head first. I mean, both of them should have died a long time ago. And he falls, he's trapped upside down. He cuts this rope into these rocky rapids, which if you've ever been in even like some rapids that aren't as rapid as these are, it hurts. And he is badly superimposed on these rapids going through it. Oh, it's horrible. But somehow he still has his trusty rock knife. It's just what he needs to get the job done. And he just happens to arrive where Benicio del Toro is, and so we get our get our knife fight, dum dum dum, with the waterfalls in the back. Yeah, so we we get in this again, good fight. I, but gra- gravitas wise, no, they start cutting each other. Which this is where I'm like, you sick bitch, is when Benicio throws blood in his eye. Oh, yeah. I was just like, well, that's, that's, that's nasty. I'd have probably been like, dude, you win. I'm out. You just like sent me several diseases probably. Yeah. Here's your, here's your hep B. Yeah. HIV. Well, that one. And again, metal better than rock because mm-hmm. Tommy Lee's knife gets broken and he just throws it. What, what he had left at him. Yeah. And this is where like a really awkward scene here. Where Benicio's got him like pretty much like got his knife against his hand right here, and it doesn't look real at all. Uh huh. Like I stopped it and took some screenshots, and like his arm is fake. Tommy Lee's? No, no, no. Benicio's. Benicio's arm is fake. I wanted to pull this up because it did just like throw me off. Well, we'll say one thing I did like about this scene where in the fight. Is when they did the sound mixing, they let the waterfall in the background. Like yes. they didn't mix it out. They didn't do some like here, because like I know we talk a bit about every movie about kind of the soundtrack that comes along with it, and mm-hmm. they didn't try and impose some thrill like song onto this. You just it's this has a very minimal score. It is, but here I'm pulling I'm pulling it up now. Look at this thing. Oh wow, yep that that's bad. That that is real bad. Like is he? Is he there or is like, are, were they even in the same scene together? Mm, maybe. Wouldn't I wonder if Benicio Toro and Tommy Jones hate each other so much that they were never actually in these scenes together? It was just one or the other. I don't think so, but that, that was a fucking choice that I did not expect in this movie that was really minimal CG. Yeah. Like it was very minimalistic, but. You, did you see the knife flip in there? You get Benicio Totoro does one of those knife flips a la uh, Winter Soldier style. Oh, yeah. And and he's Tommy Lee is getting the shit beat out of him at this point. Yeah. Like, but, and at the same time, like, which it doesn't really matter until right at the end, but the FBI arrives. And right before that, Tommy Lee just, he's like, well, it's time to wrap up this movie and kills him. Stabs him in the spleen. Yeah, he just like all of a sudden, like dudes like losing blood and cut up all the shit and just and probably dying to another scene because he's got an artery stabbed. Yeah, I mean, like both these guys should have been dead a couple times over. Yeah, and 
So we have to cap off this movie for some reason. You don't forget though, you get whenever the the shot at the end, the last shot of that is Connie Nielsen standing behind, like in the foreground with Benicio Toriel stabbed laying her dad and Tommy Jones standing over him, just kind of like that shot said right back, like, hey you guys see she even saw him. Yeah. Just kind of like, but you get the calf scene of him out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, he's gone back. He said, fuck this city life. I'm going back to British Columbia. And he's read the letters now that he got from Benicio Toro's character. And it makes me wonder, did he, Benicio Toro, ever actually send those letters? Or did he just, were they in a chest or were they? Uh, no clue. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's got his M&M letters and he just burns them. He's like, yeah, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And it, again, this relationship just wasn't really built. And it was f- felt thrown in. Kind of like everything, like a lot of other things. I feel like they're trying to force that. Because, I mean, even the movie ends with, again, Johnny Cash. And it goes, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Yeah, because then, yeah, it ends with Johnny Cash singing When the Man Comes Around. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, real credits. So, I think they were trying to establish that for Benicio's character, that this was much more of a father-son relationship or Tommy Jones' character was much more of a father figure to Benicio Del Toro's character. It's a very one-sided mental illness relationship. Yeah. That is The Hunted. Every time I see this movie, I've enjoyed it. It's not like a favorite by any means, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think I, I don't think it's ever going to be on like most watch list, but I don't think you feel like you're wasting your time. And it's such a quick movie. Yeah, yeah, it's very quick. It's like an hour, 20 minutes, 25 minutes prior to credits. Yeah. So it's you're in and out, boom, bang, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Kind of situation. Like you don't even have to. It's not, real, it's not a real recommend for me. It's not. I mean, it's, it's an okay movie. It's not terrible. Again, like I said earlier, it, it needs more meat on them potatoes. And when, I, like, I mean, fucking say something with your movie if you're going to do it. Yeah. Don't just throw in the PTS shit. Yeah, and I think that this movie would have been made circa 2008. I think you would have probably seen a much more heavier emphasis on the PTSD aspect of it because that was much more broader, significant aspect of the culture and things that were going on. As this being in 2003, like you said, a week before the invasion of Iraq, that had not, PTSD had not quite hit the cultural consensus as it has. But don't skirt around the issues either at the same time. Like, it either focus more on the PTS, kind of like similar to Rambo, or... Focus on the secret hitmen. Yeah. Like it, it seemed like we've got a, they were trying to make a hundred million dollar budget movie with a $50 million budget. That, that's another thing. It comes off as a cable movie on the specifically the USA network, like nowhere, nowhere else to me. And if you watch like USA, ain't nothing like it used to be, but back in the day, they had all these type of movies. Wasn't there a tagline in the mid 2000s where characters live? Something like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, it would have fit right in where... It did not come across to me as a $55 million movie. The, again, a lot of, like I said earlier, a good chunk of this budget was Tommy Lee's pay. I mean, with rightfully so, because... Okay, so Tommy Lee, great actor. Uh This is not a $20 million role. No, it's not. I think, honestly, they wanted some name recognition to put ass in seats. Hence why you have... Hence why I went to go see the movie. 
Yeah, why you have 90% of the budget tied up in two named actors and Connie Nielsen said the 5%, then the rest of it's pretty much shot on location, very minimalist. Like this entire movie is very minimalist. Like even when it comes to like dialogue, like it has half as much dialogue as like the Wolfman did. Yeah, and they like if you've ever seen First Blood, um, specifically First Blood, they kept a lot, they derived a lot of this movie from that. The only difference is they kept the death at the end. So in First Blood, there's a deleted scene where John Rambo, Sylvester Stallone dies. I bet that was probably cut post like first couple of viewings. Let's not. No, no, they cut they cut it because they were like, well, we can build a franchise off of it. Gotcha. So like they filmed both one where he lives, one where he dies. Again, the ham fisted relationships in this between Tommy Lee and Benicio's character, Tommy Lee and Connie Nielsen's character, Connie, even to a ex- lesser extent. Connie Nielsen and her other FBI people. Yeah. Um, the relationship between Pellegrino and Benicio, even like they were ready to throw in, like you're talking about someone who's they served with and now he's, they're ready just to throw him, throw him away. Uh-huh. Like just a lot of things like didn't like dialogue wise and script wise didn't make sense to me watching this now. But it is, a, again, if you got nothing to do and you're like, oh, The Hunted's on, it's either that or NASCAR racing. Yeah, watch The Hunted. If I saw this on TV, I wouldn't turn it off. Kind of, I'd be, kind of enjoyed it. I, for the most part, like this movie. Like, I know you're kind of very indifferent towards it, but I do like the aspect of this movie that it is such a minimalistic approach. And in terms of just like, it's not exposition heavy for the most part. It does kind of hey, here's some threats, and we don't do nothing with them. But, like, it's not. It tells you just enough. And like you said, there's 20 minutes at the end where there's not even any lines said. Mm-mm. Which That was a choice and not a choice I would have made. I think if they would have gone with that and they would have left off a lot of, like, here's the, the sweepers hunting for Benicio Del Toro's character, left that plot line out. If they would have left a lot of these, like, loose plot lines we talked about out, I think the much more minimalistic approach would have worked better. But since they set themselves up with all these extra kind of like side quests, I guess you could say that don't really go anywhere. They're just kind of trying to add some extra to the movie that it's not necessary that I think if they wouldn't even included those, I think it would have really shown the minimalistic aspect to it to where you would have had. I'll tell you what, this is what they should have done. Should have made it more about the, you know, secret deep state Alex Jones bullshit. And then you have Tommy Lee, and Benicio team up together to take down the deep step. Take take them out. I feel like that's a couple of movies already. Oh yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> I, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Oh, probably. But then they wouldn't have had the thorough feel to it that they were going for. It wouldn't have been the hunted. Well, it could have been the hunted, or it could have been the hunties. The hunteds. The hunteds. Yes. I think that's going to bring... You got anything else you want to add to about this movie? or No, that wraps up The Hunted. And we'll give it the thumbs up. Give it the... Uh, I give it the... The Zangief thumb? Yeah, I give it the... The thumb of Zangief. And that leads us into next week. We will be reviewing one of uh, a lesser known movie. Kind of. I knew nothing in this movie until you said something about it. On next week's episode, we're shifting gears. We realize that we have actually been doing a lot more serious films over the past few weeks. And 
we want to change it up. So we're going into a starring vehicle for Jonathan Taylor Thomas with Man of the House. Which should be interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that. I might have saw it when I was younger, but in recent years, no. <laughs> and we're talking about Jonathan JTT, teen sensation of the 90s. Home improvement sensation. Yeah, Rob, like this is one of his early film movies before he blew up. Blew up. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Tracy. And this has been the 35mm Podcast. Toodaloo. Toodaloo. Uh, Tune in. Don't don't forget to don't forget to like, subscribe, and all that bullshit. Tell us what you like and don't like. We're up to 18 views. Yay. Thank you, people. Thank you, everyone. We love you. Be good. Bye.